Our scripture reading this morning is found on page 1772 in your hymnals from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. And when you've found your place, will you please stand for the reading of the gospel? I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you, and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that we were baptized into my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus, Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is the word of God. For the people of God. So gracious God, we thank you for your word and we thank you, dear God, for the witnesses to your word and the powerful expansion of the power of its influence upon our lives and with people across the globe, uniting us as one in Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I know as you look at that title, it's a strange thing. I said, is that even a word? It comprises the same letters as unity. If you look at that title. So no matter how you say it, because I'll be the first to admit to you, I have no idea. I made up that word, and I don't even know how to say it. But I think it illustrates the power of sin. Just as sin can twist and disfigure godly things like love and truth, sin twists and disfigures and turns around and scrambles great godly things, even such things as unity, something that matters greatly to God. There was a time in my life when I thought, you know, the best thing that would happen to the church nowadays, in modern days, is if we could just go back to the way the church used to be in the first century, then everything would be just fine. And then I went through college and seminary and realized, oh, wow, there are lots of struggles and tensions in that first century church. Wow. Including possibilities of disunity. There was a time earlier in the history of the church, in the time of Martin Luther and of John Wesley, 
attempts to return us to scriptural unity through various reform policies that were going on. And their desire was not to form another denomination. Underscore that. When Martin Luther set out to do his work, when John Wesley set out to do his work, great reformers among others, their intent was not to bring about another denomination, but to rather reform that which they worked within. History would prove otherwise. Jesus, I believe, is the ultimate reformer. I think a better word probably would be transformer. And history proves, I believe, just how elusive a thing it is to bring about this divine love or truth or unity upon the face of the earth. I still cannot let go of the truth of the God's word that unity matters to God. That unity is one of the core values and character of God. That's why Paul wrote letters to the Corinthians, for they were at great risk of splitting at the seams. And I suppose we'd be grateful for the quarrels within Corinth because they produced great chapters like 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. Without those quarrels, we wouldn't have the great definition of love that we use so often and especially at weddings. Love is not jealous or boastful, it's not arrogant or rude. But that's how bad it got at Corinth. He had to even define what love was. You think, boy, that would be a simple thing, wouldn't you think? But he had to define it for the people, what it is and what it isn't. And, and in this part that we read today, he said, I appeal to you. And appeal is a very strong word in the Greek language, parakaleo. It means to exhort, to beg, to admonish. It's a legal word referring to believers offering evidence that stands in God's court. Parakaleo. I exhort you that all of you agree with one another in what you say, so that there be no divisions among you. Be perfectly united in mind and in thought. And when I heard that, those words, it reminds me of another part of Paul's letters in Romans 12, verse 2, where it talks about, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. How do we transform our mind? Through the power of Jesus and his Holy Spirit. I go one verse earlier in Romans 12, verse 1, and that verse says, I urge you. And guess what? Guess what word Paul uses there? It should sound familiar. Even though it says exhort in another in the English language, guess what word is used there? Pericaleo. Again, Paul has this urgent message for his churches. I appeal to you. I urge you. I exhort you. I beg of you. Be united. Well, back in Corinth, people were proclaiming their allegiance to various leaders. 
Paul, I belong to Apollos, a friend of Paul's. I belong to Cephas. So many people think that Cephas is the same as Peter, you know, the rock. I now call you Peter, the rock, Cephas, okay? A lot of people think that they're one and the same in this passage, where I belong to Christ. I remember when I was going through seminary, and first day I set foot in, in, in seminary, I had a parade of people coming up who were upperclassmen in, in, in seminary, and they, and, and they say, so what caucus are you going to belong to? Uh-huh. I mean, I was like a doe in the headlights. I was like, what, what is happening here? And I said, I don't know what you're talking about, but I belong to Christ. Oh, so then that makes you an evangelical. And I said, no, I didn't say that. I said, I belong to Christ. I'm a Christian. Oh, oh, that must make you a fundamentalist then. I said, no, I belong to Christ. I despise. I say that as earnestly as Paul says, urge, beg of you. All these words that are flying around describing people who follow Christ. Oh, I'm traditionalist or I'm progressive. God help us. We belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And then this telling line. After Paul kind of diverges a little bit, he gets kind of caught up in his own thinking. Well, now let me think. I did, I did baptize a couple of people, but that's besides the point. And then all of a sudden he gets back on track again. Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and elegance, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And I can't help but feel that the quarrels of this day and age at so many different levels empty the cross of Christ of its power. We share with Paul one task, to share the gospel, the good news of Christ to all who will hear. All who will hear, regardless who the all are. Over in Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 15, Paul wrote of the divisions between the Jews and the Gentiles of his own day. He said, Jesus' purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. A little bit further on in Ephesians 4, verse 5, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Unity. Think of it this way. There was a time in your life when you realized that God could not love you more than he does now. If you're better tomorrow, he won't love you more, and if you're worse tomorrow, he won't love you less. The love of our Heavenly Father does not ebb and flow. It does not come and go. It does not change like the shifting shadows. He is not loving. He is love. 
There was a time in your neighbor's life when they realized that God could not love them more than he does now. If they were better tomorrow, he won't love them more. And if they were worse tomorrow, he would not love them less. The love of our Father does not ebb or flow. It does not come and go. It does not change like the shifting sands. There is a time in your life when you realize this love was too good to be true, too great to be missed, and you said yes to God. And there is a time in your neighbor's life when they realize this love was too good to be true and too great to be missed, and they said yes to this love. You see, we were born into a new relationship. We were placed into a new family. We were adopted. We were given a place at the king's table. We were given a place at the king's feast. And sometimes as we're eating, we lift our eyes and we look across the table at someone else who's been adopted and we think to ourselves, wow, who let them in here? Just as they might be saying the same of us. And then we begin to question their position at the table. And he, he just doesn't seem right. Or, or we, don't, we don't really believe that we're being irreverent, but we begin to question the taste of God, perhaps, just a wee bit. So it make, makes us ask, perhaps, this question. So God... Are you dreaming of a day when we will complete the circle... You have loved us, and you have loved our neighbor, and, and you're just waiting for the day, dear God. Do we get this right, Lord, that you want us to love them and them to love us and complete the circle? And this has been the question before the church for its entire existence. Will you love your neighbor Remember how Jesus asked the question, who's my neighbor, in parable form? And, and do you remember the story that he told? What was the story in response when, when he asked, the, who is your neighbor? The Samaritan, that scoundrelly, messy, irreverent, scumbag. You get the idea? of a Samaritan, he can't possibly be my neighbor. And yet that's how Jesus defined the neighbor. Let, let's, let's have some fun with this, this idea of unity. Uh, we're going to do something on the count of three. I've done this once before. Oh, I think if my records are right, probably about eight or ten years ago. Tell me all at the same time, on the count of three, what different denominations that have been part of your background in life. Okay, you have it in mind? Okay, you, you get, so I want you to just shout it out. So on the count of three. One, two, three. Baptist. Did you, did you understand any of that? Uh-uh. 
So, so let's do this another way. On the count of three, tell me the name of the Messiah on whose arms you have trusted and whom you have offered your life and have received into your life as Lord and Savior. One, two, three. Jesus. I understood that. I think you understood it too. And it grieves me that we have denominational labels. Because I truly believe that if Jesus were to look around at all the church buildings with all their names, he would shake his head. And it begs the question, have we emptied the cross of Christ of its power, as Paul warned? We live in a day of increasing disunity in church, country, and world. We live in a world of labels, more so now, and I fear growing even more complex. I've used this story once again, but it bears repeating. John Maxwell said, the situation looks something like this. God has enlisted us in his navy and placed us on his ship. The ship has one purpose, and that is to carry us to the other shore. This is no cruise ship. It is a battleship. We aren't called to leisure, but called to service, and each of us has different tasks. Some are concerned about drowning, snatching people from the water. Others are concerned about the enemy, manning the cannons of praise and prayer. Still others are concerned with the feeding and care of the crew, but though different, we are all the same. For each of us can tell a personal encounter with the captain who met us on the seaside shanty of sin and bid us to follow him, and follow him we did. Our faith was born at the sight of his fondness, and across the gangplank of his grace we walked and found ourselves upon this great vessel of God. And so here we are on one boat with one captain, with one destination, and though the battle is fierce, we are safe. For our captain is strong, and the gates of hell will not prevail against this grand vessel. This boat will not sink. There is concern, however, not with the strength of the boat, but with the harmony of the crew. You see, when we first boarded the boat, we assumed everybody aboard was just like us. But as we wandered the decks, we found a few curious converts, some wearing uniforms we've never seen before. And, and we began to ask, well, why do you look the way you do? And, and back came the response, well, we were just about to ask you the same question. You see, there's a group which clusters every morning for serious study. They promote rigid discipline and wear somber expressions, serving the captain as serious business, and it's no coincidence that they tend to gather around the part of the boat known as the stern. <laughs> and there's another regiment deeply devoted to prayer. Not only do they believe in prayer, but also in certain posture of prayer. And so you can always find them in the bow. You got it. 
Another group has positioned themselves by the engine, studying the nuts and bolts of this ship, and they criticize those who linger on deck, who feel the wind in their hair and the sun in their face. Frankly, after a January that we've had, I don't mind the sun in my face right now. But they criticize those who linger on deck with the wind in their hair and the sun in their face. It's not what you know, it's what you feel, say the ones on the deck. While those in the engine room say, oh no, it's what you know and not just what you feel. Some think that once you're on the boat, you can never get off the boat. Hmm. I, they're, they're, this is very sophisticated. I hope you catch some of these nuances here. Others say you'd be foolish to go overboard, but the choice is yours. Some think you volunteer and were recruited to service, but others say, no, no, you were destined for service on the boat before it was ever built. Huh. Some want a meeting for those overboard. Some want to reach those overboard, so long as you don't go overboard and neglecting those on board. Did you follow that one? And so the consequence is a rocky boat. There's trouble on deck. Fights have broken out between sailors. There have been times when one group refuses to acknowledge the presence of anyone else on ship, and some who wish some on deck would just as soon go overboard. Wow. Most tragically. Most tragically. Some adrift at sea have chosen not to board this boat. Life is choppy on the sea, they say. Facing the waves and the elements. But I'd rather be caught in the waves than between a fight between two sailors. So what do we do? Call me an idealist. But I believe it when our captain says in John 17, I pray for those who will believe in me that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you so that they may be brought to complete unity. Why? For what purpose? Jesus tells us. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Forgive us, Father. This is not just an issue of today, but it's been an issue for your church for centuries. Forgive us, Father. Now listen carefully. Unity does not mean blind tolerance, nor does unity mean blanket rejection. We do not sacrifice the truth on the altar of love but know this, do not discredit or ignore the value that God places 
upon unity. There is a sin of disunity that is perhaps a sin of which we are most ignorant and play into and are a part of day in and day out without even realizing. Unity is one of the greatest gifts that God gives us. And it is something just like love and truth. We twist and scramble and disfigure. And by so doing, just like any of those other gifts that God gives us, we rob the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Unity is a value for God. God says much about it, but I've been hearing precious little about it. Oh, I hear many things today about, oh, I'm a Republican or I'm a Democrat or... When's the last time anyone you heard say, I'm an American? I've heard so many people talk about, well, I'm a progressive or I'm a traditionalist. But I have heard few say, and this includes most pastors that I know, few say, I am a Christian, and I love Jesus. In just a moment, we'll participate in one of the most unifying experiences of the Christian faith, Holy Communion. And we'll be shoulder to shoulder, knee to knee with someone. We may know them, we may not. But as we say of our open communion, all who love the Lord are welcome to this table. All who love the Lord are welcome to this table. And I, I have never seen any fine print associated with that. Blessed be the tie that binds indeed. <clears throat>